We've been doing our series, the seven lessons from the seven letters from the book of Revelation. And we said from each of that, there is one lesson that we can take away. I'm not sure which of those uh, spoke to you. Uh, I'm not going to ask for you to put your hand up and say, I'm excited to tell about one, but if there's one, that's great. Uh, I really want to encourage you to go home and read through in one sitting those seven letters. It's, uh, it's a marvelous, uh, marvelous uh, letter, much that we can learn from. And today we are at the last of that. It's the last letter that's written to the church of Laodicea. And uh, the, uh, this letter is the severest. It's the harshest. It's the one that the Lord has nothing to say anything good about. No praise, no commendation. He's got some harsh counsels. And he ends that with the same way he ends each of those other letters. If you have a year, take heed. Take heed what the Spirit has to say. You know, it's interesting. I, I don't know if you've heard of this expression. You know, your, your, you as parents would have said it, or if you are uh, a boss, you would have said it, or, you know, you would have heard it from your parents. I'm going to say it only once. You don't make me say it again. Have you heard that? Or you've told two little kids? All right, okay. So if you heard that, then I want to remind you, the Lord is saying this seven times at the end of each of the letter. If you have a year... Take heed. So I, I want to emphasize the urgency and the importance of what the Lord is saying seven times. Seven times he repeats this. And in Isaiah 46, if you, um, if you look that up, it says there that I will accomplish all that I purpose. And so in the book of Revelation, in fact, the whole of the Bible, if you see, there are things that he promises and the things that he purposes. He said he's going to do it, and uh, he does it. That's what his word is saying. So when you read through these letters, there are some warnings and some promises and all of that. I, I want you to understand what is happening. The Lord is going to do it. We have a choice. We either work with him, partner with him, and labor with him, and you know, uh, uh, we are part of the uh, uh, purpose. Or we don't. And if you don't, we actually uh, opposite. We, we, we're not with him. So there's a danger there. And so as you think about, as we covered this last letter, I want you to keep your eyes, your heart, your mind out to say, what is that one thing the Lord would have me do? Because for us as a church and as individuals, we have to listen and heed. We have to hear and we have to do, not just hear. We have to do both, all right? So what I want to do is I want to take you through quickly the seven lessons that we had, uh, just that one line each time. Uh, could you get to the next one? All right, so the first one is Ephesus. Ephesus, we saw uh, the Lord says, great work, but no love, won't do. I, I'm not too excited about your work if there's no love. And then the second one is Smyrna. Smyrna is one of those churches the Lord did not have anything negative, negative to say. And that gives me a lot of encouragement because that means that even our church can be like that, right? But he says, 
I know it's tough times. Be encouraged uh, and stay faithful. Then you have Pergamos. Persist. Don't compromise. Titeria. Resist. Watch out for false teaching. Sardis. Wake up. It says wake up. Don't lose your zeal. And then Philadelphia, which is the second of those seven churches which the Lord has nothing negative to say. It says well done. Stay obedient. And today we are at Laodicea. The Lord says, you need help. Let's get together for a meal. All right? So I want us to, uh, therefore, turn to Revelation chapter 3. I want to read to you from verse 14 down to 22. Revelation chapter 3, verse 14 down to 22. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write the words of the Amen, the faithful, the true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works, you are neither cold nor hot. Would you that you, uh, would that you were either cold or hot? So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say I'm rich, I have prospered, I have nothing, not realizing that you're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love I reprove and discipline so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him eat with him, and he with me. And the one who conquers, I will grant to him to sit with me on my throne, so that, so, sorry, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne, and he who has a ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. As Father, we, we pray that um, as, we, as we look at your word, would your Spirit be the teacher, be the one who leads us and guides us. May my words, my fallible words, my, uh, in anything that I might say, which is contrary to what you would have me say, Lord, would you erase it from the memories of your people? But let your word find its deep root in the souls of your people. Feed us, Father, we pray. We thank you in Jesus Christ, our Lord's name. Amen. Amen. So this is about Laodicea, and I just want to give you a little context about the city so you, you understand what, uh, what is happening as we read, uh, get back to the passage. All right? So Laodicea is one of the tri-cities. There's the Colossae, there's the Hierapolis, and there is the Laodicea. If you don't turn to it now, but if you turn to Colossians chapter 4, you will see Paul saying this letter that was written to Colossae would be read in Laodicea. And the letter written to Laodicea would be read in Colossae and in Hierapolis. Um, but we don't have the letter written to Laodicea. In fact, Laodicea is one of the cities, one of the churches that had the most letters written to them after that of Ephesus. Okay, so that's Laodicea. And, and it wasn't Paul who uh, started Colossae or Hierapolis or um, or Laodicea, we think it is Epaphras. He's the one who's been laboring. He got saved, it seems like, at the, at the ministry of Paul, and he comes to Colossae, and he's working in these three areas, and there's a church that is established. Now, this city itself is a, is a busy, it's an expensive, it's a 
rich city. It's a banking city. There is this history that tells us that they had an earthquake, and when the whole city was destroyed, they had enough money to rebuild. They didn't need a grant from Rome. So they were rich. They knew what rich meant, okay? And uh, then, the, then they had the industry of clothing, of black wool. It was known for black wool. It was also known for an eye ointment. And you see how, God, uh, how the Lord is referencing all that into the letter. One other thing was about, his, about the water supply of the city. The city would have this underground aqueduct, uh, like a, like a uh, store, like a pipe, as it, if you would, uh, that brings in water from Colossae, which is cold springs, cool water, or it would come from Hierapolis, which had hot springs. But the problem is, by the time this, these waters got down to Laodicea, the water was tepid. It was lukewarm. It was tasteless. It was yucky. And so there's this reference to being tepid, lukewarmness, and how you feel like disgusting as you drink that water. So when these references are made, these people in, in this church knew exactly what the Lord was wanting them to understand. All right? So... That's the context, but I want us to understand what the main lesson is. The main lesson of this is this. God's wonderful and marvelous grace is available for you. God's marvelous and wonderful grace is available for you. Let's see what we have in the letter. So if you will come back to verse 14. Verse 14. It says, These are the words of Amen and faithful, the true witness, the beginning of, of creation. It's about the Lord's sovereignty. It's about saying that he will purpose, what he purposes, he will finish, he will complete. He is the amen. He is the one who is the truth and speaks the truth, and what he says will be complete. And then it says he is the faithful and the true witness. He is both the authentic and accurate. And what that means is, listen to this, when he's faithful and witness, this is what it is, right? He is authentic, the source, from where it starts. It is real because he is who? The Lord is God himself. And so he's authentic. He is faithful. And, and, and his outworking of that is the true witness. Is, it, what he does is accurate too. There's no mix, nothing. What he says and who he is is what he, what he is and what he does. All right, so he's the one who is speaking this. He's the one who is saying what he's saying towards um, as we go down the letter. But it says that the beginning of God's creation. I think it's good to stop there and ask, what, 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 is, what does the Lord say when he says the beginning of God's creation? Is he the beginning of God's creation? Is he the first one who was created? What say you? Was he the first of God's creation? The Lord Jesus Christ, that is? No. No. He is not. So what does it say here? You see, when the church of Laodicea got this letter, they didn't have to ask this question because they had already got this letter that was written to Colossae that was read to them. In Colossians chapter 1 and verse 16, it says this, that for by him all things were created. 
whether in heaven or in, on earth, whether visible or invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or rulers and authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. You see, what the Lord is saying is that I'm the beginner of create, uh, creation. I'm the one who caused the creation. Not that he is the first of creation. You might read again in Colossae, he's the firstborn. What that means, that he is the head. We've seen that at another time. But that when he says this, he establishes his authority as to say, I am the one who's saying to you what I've got to say. And so having established who he is, we want to see what it says in verse 15. And 16. I know your works. You're neither cold nor hot. Would that you would either be cold or hot. So because you're lukewarm, neither hot or cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Do you want a modern translation to that? All right. The modern translation is this. You're neither a hot pack nor a cold pack, but you think you're a six pack, but you're not. All right. You're not neither hot nor cold. But you think of yourself as something. And the Lord says, I'm going to spit you out. Sometimes we think that this being hot and being cold is about, you know, fiery passion versus being dead. And God is saying, all right, the Lord is saying this. All right, you either be passionate for me or just be dead. Because if that were true, then being lukewarm may be a little better than being dead. I want us to understand the purpose in what, what is being said here. You see, the hot water is therapeutic. It's a hot spring. You, you know, it's therapeutic. But cold water is refreshing. The only other place where this word cold is used is in Matthew, where it says what? When you give a cup of cold water. Right? So both the hot water and the cold water, has, they, they have a purpose. But the tepid water, it's tasteless. It's yuck. I want, to throw you, I want to spit you out of my mouth. You make me sick. That's what God is saying. It's like, uh, I don't know how many coffee, drink, coffee lovers are out here. How many of you love coffee? I don't love coffee, but I know what it, what it is to drink coffee that has been standing for too long. He says, I, no good. Iced coffee, okay. Either iced coffee or hot coffee, but not coffee which is tepid, which has been sitting there out for a long time. So what is the Lord saying? This is important, okay? Get this with me. This is important. What the Lord is saying is that this is a perfect imagery of indifference and apathy. Of indifference and apathy. Now, I think it's important to understand what, what that means. What is indifference and what is apathy? Because, you see, it's, it's, it's difficult to, to define. It's difficult to, to correct uh, because it's not like a rebellion or whatever it is. It's just indifference. It's apathy. How do you, how do you deal with it? But, but it's important that we understand what it is. All right, so here's the difference. Uh, here's the definition for indifference. The Webster says it, that it's the absence of compulsion. It's the absence of this lack of desire. I have no urge to act, to do. It's like equivalent to the, to the spiritual shoulder shrug, whatever. 
Like, I don't care. That's indifference. I, I, I don't know how many of you did economics. And there is this, uh, the, the line of indifference. It's called the line of indifference. And in my mind, I'm saying, okay, don't go there. It's a bad illustration. It's a hard illustration. But I'm going to try and explain because it's a, it's a good one to understand, all right? So it's like a curve. That's called the line of, line of indifference. Two things that you like, two things that you like are one is on the X, Y axis and the other is on the X axis. And both of them try to compete for your affection. And, and so what is happening is if you're on that line, you have this line of indifference. That's what it is, all right? So give, let me give you an example. We were talking about it this morning in some way of, of price that you pay. You're willing to pay a high price when your satisfaction is high. As the satisfaction goes down, you're only willing to pay price that is less. But at some point in time, your price cannot go further down, but your satisfaction starts to de decrease. So that's the line of indifference. That is, the moment my satisfaction is less, I'm not going to pay the price. It's going to drop. And what happens is we try to do this with our, with our spiritual life. We try to put the spiritual on the y-axis and the, and the satisfaction, as it were, on the x-axis. But the principle breaks down. I'll tell you why. Because according to this principle, that if you, had, uh, if you had high satisfaction, if you're satisfied with your life, your spiritual life must be really excellent. But it's usually not. When our life is doing well, we want to stick to the line of indifference. Like, whatever, okay, I'm good, everything's okay. And then something goes wrong with the life. As you get out of that comfort zone, you want to force yourself to come back to, to, to where you, know, you don't feel that angst. And in either ways, you're, we are focused so much on our life rather than on the spiritual. The lesson that I, I don't know if I lost many of you there, but this is the lesson for that. The lesson is that if you're not intentional about our spiritual, we will end up being indifferent. We have to be intentional. We have to say, Lord, this is important for me. There's no price high enough that I'm not willing to pay. Anything short would be indifference. Okay, so one thing I want you to understand. This is indifference. How does indifference play out? That's indifference. Okay, listen to the second one, which is apathy. Apathy. Apathy is the absence of emotional involvement. That is, my heart's not in it. The first one says, I don't care. The second one says, I can't care. I, you know, I don't feel, I don't, I, I don't know. I don't have the heart. The indifference and the apathy. There's no, there's no satisfaction in doing things. It's just the mechanics. I just do the things because I'm doing. Like, I really don't, I can't care for this. So, being tepid, being lukewarm is apathetic and indifferent. You don't care, you can't care. And unless we're intentional, we don't move out of that. So I ask myself, like, how do you help someone who, who is here? Like, how do you help when somebody's apathetic or indifferent? Short answer, no, I can't. I can't. But, you know, even though we, because even though we try to help, they will say, no, 
uh, you know, I don't need help. I'm okay. I'm cool. I'm, you know, I, I, I came across a, a cartoon quip, which is great. This is about this lawyer who is trying to defend his, uh, uh, defend, you know, he's trying to defend this person who murdered his mother. He turns to his, turns to the jury and says, how can you convict this person for murdering his mother knowing that he is an orphan? You see, what really, what, what that it's saying is, it's like a circular, circular logic. Like, you know, you, 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 we, we, we can't just get out of it unless that intentionality is. But you know what the Lord is saying? That is what I want you to look at. The Lord is saying, your indifference and your spiritual apathy nauseates me. I'm going to spit you out. So it doesn't, really it doesn't really matter like how we react to it or whatever it is, but what does the Lord say? Indifference and apathy nauseates me. I'm going to spit you out. So when you look down to verse 17, he continues to talk about what is happening. For you say, I'm rich, I have prospered, I need nothing, not realizing that you're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Again, do you want a modern translation? You boast, but you really toast. Right? You think you've got it all. You think you are rich, that you've prospered, you need nothing, but not realizing you're wretched, pitiable, and poor, and blind. Two things are happening here. One is self-sufficiency and self-deception. Um, self-sufficiency, I think I pro I'm rich, I've prospered, I need nothing, that's self-sufficiency, I've got it. I've got it, I, I, don't need, I don't need anything, right? I've got it all, self-sufficiency. But I'm self-deceived, because I'm really wretched, I'm pitiable, I'm poor, I'm blind, I'm naked. I'm self-sufficient, you know, the, the three times at least you can see, he's like the eye specialist, you know, the eye, the eye specialist. I'm rich, I'm prosperous, I've got need for nothing. Self-sufficiency. But then you are also self-deceived. It's like the emperor's new clothes, right? I mean, the only person who doesn't know he is not wearing anything is the emperor himself. Every, everybody else can see. And that is what's happening here. The, because of the self-sufficiency and self-deception, they're not able to understand. They, they, they're like caught up. Elie Weisel, who is a Romanian-born American novelist, is a Holocaust survivor and a Nobel Peace Prize, had this to say. He says, the opposite of love is not hate, it's indifference. The opposite of art is not ugliness, it's indifference. The opposite of faith is not heresy, it's indifference. The opposite of life is not death, it's indifference. There's this gem of truth about this thing of indifference. Indifference and apathy. And the issue really here as we look at the church at Laodicea, the issue is pride, isn't it? Because, because they think they've got it. They, they're self-sufficient. They've got it all. They, they, they think that, they know, I really don't need anything, you know? There's this pride which, which leads to this self-sufficiency and that they can be indifferent. Listen to this. Indifference and apathy are often byproducts of pride, which comes 
in turn from self-sufficiency and self-deception. So that's the condition. That's the condition in which the church is. Right? Now, that's quickly summarizing what it is and where it is. But thankfully, God has got a, the Lord has got a cure. The Lord is saying, yeah, yeah, I got that. You, you, I want you to understand where you are. But there's a cure. And the cure is in verse 18, verse 19, and verse 20. It says, be rich, be repentant, and be responsive. Be rich, be repentant, be responsive. Verse 18, it says there, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and shame for your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes. Be rich, be, be clothed, be anointed. The Lord is saying this, this, this first thing that he can do is buy from me, buy from me. And you might ask this question, like, you, you just told me I'm, 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 I'm poor. How can I buy from you? In Isaiah 55, verse 1, that's a beautiful verse. And, and that's the Lord's great invitation. That's not the first time. This is not the first time he's saying it. He says it in Isaiah. He says it again in Revelation chapter 21 and chapter 22. He says, this, come, buy from me without money. Have the satisfaction of knowing the greatest riches of God is for you, offered to you by the Lord himself. You see, because we cannot pay money to get Lord's riches. We can't. So really what the Lord is saying when he says buy is procure, get for yourself, have these riches, these riches which are outside of the world. You can't get it here. You're, you're trying your best for the riches of this world. I know you live in Laodicea. You think you're rich, you prospered, you need nothing. But really, that's really left you poor and naked and blind. Come. Come. Be rich. But not just rich. It says in verse 19, be repentant. Those whom I love are reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. I want to say to you that this is amazing grace. This is amazing grace. I get this, all right? Just a few verses ago, the Lord says, I'm going to spit you out. I'm, you make me sick. I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to spit you out. But here he says, because I love you, I'm going to discipline you. He works with us. Hebrews 12 is such a beautiful, beautiful passage. It speaks about discipline. He says, don't be weary when the Lord uh, disciplines you because he does that to his sons, his daughters, his children. And, and when he does do that, he does it for your good in verse 6. And that you may share in his holiness. So God says, listen, you are in such a state, I feel like spitting you out. I want, really make me sick, really. But I'm going to discipline you because I love you. That's, that's grace. That's grace. I, I, I think about this for myself. And I says, if I were the one who had to adjudicate that, if I were the arbitrator, I, I, I'd probably say, let's put it out of its misery. You know, Laudation Church, terrible, you know, done with it. 
that'll be something like a churchy side, you know, homicide, churchy side, kill the church. No, we don't want to be part of that. We don't want our hands bloodied because we were involved in putting a church to death. See the example of the Lord. A church that should have been a written off church. He says that um, I'm gonna, I love the church enough to reprove the church, to discipline the church. And so when you get down to verse 19, and verse 20, sorry. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come into him and eat with him and he with me. This verse is often used as a gospel verse, right? I mean, the few that we explain to them that God's standards are so high, we can never reach those standards. And as you try, as you try, you'll never be able to reach those standards. But God himself accomplishes those standards in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one who fulfills it for you. So all you have to do is just believe him and just say thank you, Lord Jesus Christ, for dying for my sin. And that you accept that. And, and the, the thing of acceptance is open your heart and let him come to your heart is not just the organ, but into your life, into the very heart of your life, that he would come. And we use that as a gospel message. Or we might say that this church is so um, terrible that the Lord Jesus Christ is actually outside of the church. It's a Christless church. But really what it is, I want you to notice, it's about fellowship. That word is that I'll come in and dine with you. They would have understood that there is this intimacy, this is relationship, there is this fellowship that Christ is, is longing for. And that, again, is amazing grace. And I'll tell you why. Because he is there knocking on the door when he should have walked away. When he should have said that that's, that's it, you know, I mean, if you don't want to dine with me, if you don't need me, I'm going to go. But he persists, he stands there, and he knocks at the door, and he says, let me in, one of you. That's the language, he says, if anyone will hear me, it's the singular, to any one of us, if you will hear, open the door, he's going to come and have fellowship with us. And if that one person does it, may that be an avalanche of repentance for the entire church that, that we would enjoy the fellowship of our Lord Jesus Christ. This intense relationship. Grace that knocks. It's not a knock-knock joke, right? It's not like knock-knock, who's there? Grace, grace you. No. This is honest-to-goodness grace. This is a grace that doesn't walk away. When, when we did everything, and we know our lives, when we look at our lives, when we look at our corporate life, and in any which way, if you were to look at it, we, we, it, 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 we didn't deserve it. He should have walked away. But he stands there knocking. He says, if you will open, I will come in and dine with him, or with her, and he with me, or he and she with me. That he will do that, and I tell, if anyone, anyone, anyone. 
then he goes on in verse 21, he says this, that one who conquers, I will grant to him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. The language continues to be in the singular. Anyone, anyone. It's addressed to the conqueror. See this. Earlier on, he says, you know, if you're rich, it's not the person who's just rich towards the Lord. It's not just the one who repents. It's not just the one who responds and opens the door, but he's the one or she's the one who's the conqueror. The conqueror. The truth be told is this, that life is, it, it, it is intentional. We just said, you know, if, if we just let it go, we can just be the driftwood. We can just... Swim along, you know, be the driftwood. That, that's indifference and apathy. But, but if you want anything to do with the spiritual, that's labor that's required. There's repentance, there's finding of the true riches, and there's turning around, there's response, and yet it's called be the conqueror. Be the conqueror. And the one who conquered is the one who's calling us to, do, to us to say, be the conqueror. Be the conqueror. Life is tough. I can tell you spiritual life is tougher too. Tougher more. Because the only reason we can be conqueror is because of because of Jesus Christ. Because of grace that he offers. The grace that has been knocking is the grace that will that will make us the conquerors, will see us through, that will take us through. That's the joy. That's the confidence. But it's offered to the ones who are willing to listen and to heed. That's why that chapter, that, that next passage says, he that hears, take heed what the Spirit says. So my prayer for us as a church is just this. That we, we, we don't know if the Laudation Church actually, you know, whether they confessed, whether they, you know, whether they sought the Lord. But uh, th there is a quote that says by the 21st century traveler, uh, and there we find this, nothing can exceed the desolation and the melancholy in the appearance of the site of Laudatia. They were, you know, they were, they don't exist. But the truth be told, none of these seven churches also exist. Even the two churches which are good, the Lord didn't have anything to say. They didn't exist. So it's really not about the longevity of the church on this earth. See, the Lord Jesus Christ is building his church, the, the universal church. The, nothing can stand against it. But sometimes these local churches might die. And we know from statistics, there are about 1,500 or so churches that close every month. We don't want to be part of that statistic because we want to listen and we want to heed. We want to say that we want to be the one who, who is understood, we, that we would get the commendation. We would have this reward. We will listen and we will, we will heed because as in verse 22 it says, He who has a ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches that we have heard. His grace, is, his grace is a cause for us to heed, isn't it? So my prayer is this. For ourselves and for 
new life is this. May the Lord's marvelous grace melt our apathy and our indifference. May we accept his wonderful invitation to buy from him refined gold, white raiment, and eye ointment, that our riches would be Godward. May his persistent grace as he knocks on the door rather than walk away urge us to seek his heart, his fellowship, his rich presence. May we be overcomers, every single one of us, the ones who never gave up. But through his grace, we persevered. That we would have the joy of being called the conquerors because we persevered. Not satisfied with mediocrity, not satisfied with indifference, not satisfied with apathy, and everything which our natural self is urging us to do. We want to get out of that line of indifference. We want to be passionately used by God. We want to be red hot. Uh, and, and fiery, passionate, therapeutic, if it be, or let it be cold and refreshing, but not tepid and lukewarm. So I want to give you two challenging questions, two questions to challenge our hearts. First, if you don't know this Lord, if you don't know this grace, if you don't know who this Christ is, if you don't know that he came seeking for you and he knocks on the door of your heart, Oh, would you listen? Would you hear? Would you say there is nothing beautiful, nothing worth, and there's nothing else in this world that I would so desire than Christ himself? That, that my riches would be found in him. That I would be clothed in white garments, that I would not be naked in all the things that I'm trying to do for myself, that I would be able to see the glories and the beauty of who my Lord is. May that be, may that be true. Anyone here who doesn't know who Christ is? Anyone? That that would be real. Secondly, will you listen and heed to what the Spirit has to say, to seek and to obey him fully, not half-hearted like the tepid waters of Laodicea, but that we would be useful to him, to his people, and be to his glory. May God bless the hearing of his word. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray, Lord, that uh, we recognize that our hearts so desire, Lord, to honor you, to glorify you. But we pray, Father, that you would... Um, Take away any indifference, any resistance, Lord, which, is, which our natural self is pulling us to. Any apathy, any, anything which comes in the way of you using us fully. If there's anybody here, Lord, who has not fully understood what it means to love you, to know you, to, to, be, uh, to call you Lord and Savior, to be saved from their sins, would your spirit continue to speak into their lives, Lord? And we pray for those who know you, that our hearts would be entirely yours. Entirely yours. May you be glorified. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus Christ, the Lord's name. Amen.